talking about hope. What does hope have to do with Christmas? After that, we talked about the joy of Christmas. What is the joy of Christmas? Last week, we looked at peace. And this week, we're looking at love. So I want us to do a little exercise. Everyone can close their eyes. And I want you to think of that word, love. What images come to mind? Now I want you to keep your eyes closed and think of Christmas. What images come to mind? Are those images connected? Feel free to open your eyes. If you're watching television these days, um, connecting love and Christmas, you're probably thinking about the Hallmark uh, Christmas movies that are on TV over and over again. These are three of my favorites. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. I've actually never seen any of these uh, But the Hallmark Christmas movies are playing in houses all across North America. In 2017, they made 33 new Hallmark Christmas movies. Can you believe it? Some of you are like, yes, I can. because, um, And they're basically the same movie over and over again. And uh, they've attached love to Christmas. You get titles like, With Love, Christmas. Or, Marry Me at Christmas. So you might think that love and Christmas somehow romance and marriage and and these romantic feelings are the love that we think of when it comes to Christmas. But does that make sense? I don't know. I don't think so. And this word love that we use in our culture, you know, I might say that I love pizza. And I do. I love pizza. A lot of us are about to enjoy turkey. We might love turkey. We would say that we love the Oilers. We love the Toronto Maple Leafs. We, We love fill in the blank. And in the same breath, we might go on to say, I love my wife. I love my daughter. But we recognize that there's a difference in in meaning when we say those different things. But I wonder if this English word for love that we use and all the meaning that we've packed into it just doesn't fit what the Bible means when it says love. Especially when we're talking about Christmas, when we're talking about Jesus coming to earth. Since we get to this familiar verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. Who memorized this verse as a kid? Yeah, I remember this was probably the first verse uh, that we memorized uh, as children in Sunday school. For God so loved the world. But when John's writing, for God so loved, is he talking about the same love that would make me say, I love pizza, or I love the Oilers? I don't think so. So what is love according to the scriptures? And and what does that love from the scriptures have to do with Christmas? And more importantly, what does this love have to do with each one of us? With me, with you? Well, I want to unpack some of these ideas this morning. Answer some of these questions. And to help me do that, I I was reading a book called The Celebration of Difference by a a theologian named Scott McKnight. Uh, And this book is about the church. And Scott's spending a lot of time talking about how our churches need to be places where we celebrate the difference among us. That we celebrate our diversity. And he, he knows full well that in order to have that conversation, he needs to talk about what love is. So he defines, he, he looks at scripture to define what, what love is. And he gives us two rules. And the first rule, he says, is that we cannot use a modern English dictionary. Today you might read something, uh, if you look up love in a dictionary, as an intense feeling of deep affection. 
Scott says that our understanding of what love is is so shaped by Western culture, that, but it pales in comparison to what the Bible actually means when it says love. The second rule that he gives is that we need to define love in the Bible by watching God love Israel. Watching God love His church. Watching God love His Son, Jesus. And when we read the Bible kind of with that lens, looking to answer that question, the definition of love begins to emerge. And as theologian Scott McKnight did this discipline, he he looked at love and he said, there's four elements that he sees emerging. And and I want to unpack these today. And he says that God's love is to be understood first as commitment to be with, for, and unto his creation. God's love is to be understood as a commitment to be with, for, and unto his creation. So I want to unpack this perspective of love, these four elements. And I want to do that while answering this question of, well, what is love? What does it have to do with Christmas? And more importantly, what does it have to do with each one of us? So first, Scott McKnight recognizes that God's love is about commitment. And we see this by looking at just the very beginning of the Bible. And the story of Scripture from beginning to end, it speaks to this reality of God being a God who's committed to His people. If we know the story of Scripture, we know that Genesis begins with God creating the heavens and the earth. He creates humanity. And and He creates all of this with this desire that there be a series of perfect relationships. That humanity would be in perfect relationship with God. That humanity would be in perfect relationship with one another. And even a perfect relationship between humanity and the very earth that God put them on. It's a series of perfect relationships. It's a beautiful thing. But we know that early on in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters. And sin is very simply uh, missing the mark or kind of choosing your own way. This reality that God had this standard of perfect relationships. But humanity saying, okay God, I... I see what you want for us in perfect relationships, but I kind of, I have my own idea of perfection. I have my own idea of how things should be, so that's the direction I'm going to go. And that's what we read about in Genesis chapter 3. The separation between man and God. And if we're reading the story maybe for the first time, and let's say we don't know at all what else happens in the Bible, we'd read this and be like, humans, what are you doing? Adam and Eve, why would you do this? And we might even think in addition to that, that it would make perfect sense for God to go his own way and humanity to go their own way. That, you know, humanity's rejected God, so why should God have anything to do with them? Well, if we keep turning the pages in our Bible, we get to this guy named Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see that this whole idea of love in the Bible begins with this incredibly unexciting idea of God entering into a contractual or a covenant relationship with humanity. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to be in relationship with you. And I'm going to make a covenant with you, which is basically a promise. A contractual promise. And it's in this interaction with Abraham that God is saying, I am committed to you as humanity because I love you. So we see here the basis that God's love is based on a promise. And what I love about that is that you and I have an assurance of God's love because of His promise. 
So what is this promise about? What is this commitment that God has made? What is that of? Well, it takes us to the second element. God's commitment is to be with his people, to be with you and I. This is a love seen through presence. I was reading this week about uh, this past year, a couple in Japan was awarded the Guinness Book of World Records title for being married for 80 years. 80 years. The woman in this relationship is 100 years old and her husband is 108 years old. So in giving them this Guinness World Record, of course the interviewer asked the question, what's your secret? How did you manage to stay married for 80 years? And the wife answers, answers the interviewer. She says, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to be receiving this reward. And then she says, it's thanks to my patience, really, <laughs> that we've been married for 80 years. <laughs> and what an honest answer. But I love that answer. Because what this woman is saying, she's like, you know, sometimes my husband was hard to get along with. Sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes I didn't want to be around him. But I was very patient. So we made it these 80 years. And that's kind of this glimpse in this reality that the love we see in the Bible is a love that is committed to be with someone. Even when it requires patience. The biblical narrative, the story that we read in the Bible is one of a God who wants to be with his people. That begins with this character Abraham. Where God is saying to Abraham, I want to be with you. I'm going to promise to be with you. We keep reading in Scripture, we get to Exodus, and we know the story. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. Things are not going well for them. So they cry out to God for help, and God goes to Moses, and he says, Moses, you're going to lead these people, um, I'm going to have you lead these people out of Egypt. But he makes this amazing statement to him in Exodus chapter 6. Some of it will be on the screen here. This is what he says. He says, Moses, this is what I want you to say to Israel. Say that I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. But this message, I will take you. You will be my people. I will be your God. He's making this declaration to them that I'm going to be with you. And we read about this. We read how this plays out all through the Old Testament. Where God faithfully places his presence among people. We read about them in the wilderness. This fire, this fire by night, cloud by day. God's presence with his people in the, in, in the desert. Then they get to the land that God had promised. They set up a temple. God comes. He dwells among his people. It's beautiful. And this withness, this reality of God being with his people, it doesn't make any sense. Because the narrative of scripture speaks of a people who over and over again act like they do not want to be with God. They act like they want to push him away. But just like this Japanese couple, God looks at Israel and we say, God, how have you been so faithful with Israel? He says, well, it's my patience. I love them. And my love for them means that I want to be with them. God's commitment to be with us reaches a fuller expression at Christmas. Pastor Norb alluded to this in John chapter 1 when he prayed. But 
we read these amazing words at the beginning of John's Gospel. Where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This beautiful verse of God saying, I'm going to come and be with you. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. Uh, He says that, uh, we have it here on the screen, that love became, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. This reality of God saying, I want to be with you. I love you and I want to be with you. So Jesus came and dwelt among the people. You know, it's interesting to me because when people think about religion, they think that religion is about a series of practices that will help you get closer to God. If you just do all the right things, you'll climb up the mountain and somehow reach God. This idea of, well, yeah, if, you just, if you're holy enough, if you're righteous enough, you'll climb up the mountain, and God's at the top of the mountain. But friends, that's not the love of God that we read about in the Bible. The love of God is Him looking at the people and saying, you guys could never climb this mountain. And so do you know what? I'm going to come down the mountain to you. So God comes down the mountain to be with His people because He loves them. And He wants to be with Him. So Jesus came and dwelt among us. Further than that, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he sends his spirit. And his spirit indwells our hearts. I can with confidence say that God is with us this morning, among us. His presence is here. He desires to be with us. So we see God's love throughout scripture in his faithful presence. The next element is God's commitment to be for his people. His commitment to be for his people. You know, when I was a kid, I I loved playing basketball, and I was never very good at basketball. But something I loved when I was playing sports was this reality of my family coming to watch. Because when my family came and watched, I knew that they would encourage me afterwards. My family was, was was in my corner. They were on my team. They were cheering for me. They were like, you can do it. You know, it's funny, I didn't know my mom's here this morning, I'm going to pick on my mom. Hi mom! Um, but there's this reality of, as, I, as I'm speaking to you this morning, my mom's here supporting me. She's in my corner. She's got my back. She's going to have words of encouragement, hopefully. <laughs> but this reality, my mom in a way is, she's an advocate. And many of you who are parents, you watch your kids... You're in their corner. You're their advocate. And in the same way, God's love is for us. God's committed himself to be for us, to be in our corner. It echoes that same statement of, I will be their God. They will be my people. I am for them, not against them. And we read in scripture that Israel was not very good at being faithful to God. They promised over and over again to God. Over and over again, Israel came before God and they said, we are going to worship you. We are going to follow you. We are going to be your people. And over and over again, they fail at this. They choose to go their own way. God pushes them away. And never does God disassociate from them. In fact, when, when God's looking at their situation, we see him, he writes the law for them. And it's easy for us to view the law as this burden that God puts on his people. But the reason God put the, the law in place was that so they would have a way in which they could be in relationship with him. 
God's saying, I am for you. I want you to be in this perfect relationship. Over and over again, we read in Scripture about the grace of God. His grace, loving His people, being in their corner, staying in their corner, even when they reject Him. We know that Israel gets exiled to Babylon. They get taken out of their land. But even then, God doesn't leave them there. He comes to their aid. He sends sends them prophets who speak to them words of hope. We read some of these messages. One that I love is in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. He's like, "I'm, I'm for them. I'm for them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Here it is again. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is God saying, I'm for them. I want to help them be in relationship with me. I'm going to make a new covenant so that they can come into this relationship. I am for my people. And we see this promise of God, this advocacy, come through at Christmas. And the familiar words of John 3.16 ring out, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gave Jesus to be our advocate. As we put our trust and our hope in Him, we are brought back into that relationship with God, that perfect relationship, being God's people. When we put our trust in God, we become His children. Jesus stands as an advocate now between our repentant hearts and the law of God, continually showing That He is for us, not against us. Continually working grace and mercy in our lives. To restore us into relationship with God. So we see God's love throughout Scripture in His persistent advocacy for us. I am for them. I am for them. So as this commitment to be with God's people and His commitment to be for His people, as those continue to be worked out, work themselves out, it causes the love of God to be directional. And what does that mean? Well, this is the fourth element that Scott McKnight talks about. It's a commitment to see the best in others. This is what he calls unto. God's commitment is unto his people. It's a directional love. And uh, he explains it a bit like this. We have the quote on the screen. God loves us. And God's kind of love, and God's kind of love transforms us into loving and holy, God-glorifying, and other-oriented people in God's kingdom. God's withness transcends simple presence and advocacy. His withness and forness are a transforming power. So what's Scott saying about this? He's saying that the love of God, His presence in our lives, His advocacy in our lives, doesn't leave us as we are. It works to transform us and change us. You know, I think about this in my marriage. Um, Jelena and I have been, been married 10 years now, but kind of earlier on in our marriage, uh, my wife decided that we should be eating a lot healthier than we were eating. 
And so she starts preparing these meals. And full disclosure, this is embarrassing for me. I didn't like these meals, and I didn't think that I should be eating healthier. And so I, on my way home from work, <laughs> this is really bad. I would stop at Harvey's or Wendy's or, or McDonald's, and I would grab a snack, which most of us in this room would call a meal, and I would, I would eat frantically as I drove the rest of the way home. <laughs> and then I'd sit down and enjoy a meal with my wife. But here's the thing. As years go by, not even years in this case, months, my wife's faithful presence in my life, her advocacy for me, her love for me, her commitment to seeing me be a healthier person starts to do a work in me that suddenly I'm kind of standing in agreement with her. And I'm like, yeah, that isn't all that healthy. I I shouldn't eat that. And I would find myself agreeing with her. And I'm like, what's what's happened to me? I've changed. (laughs) You know, I'm sure many of us have experienced similar things in our marriages. In these relationships that our spouse's presence and advocacy in our lives, it doesn't leave us the same as we were. It changes us. And that's the love of God. God's love has always been about transformation. It's always been about seeing humanity become their best. In Genesis, if God created us for perfect relationships, He had a plan, a design in mind. And humanity in their choice abandoned that and went their own way and now God is working to see us brought back into this perfect relationship. He's working to see us restored into the people that he created us to be. And friends, that is incredibly loving. And in our culture of tolerance, we look at that and say, oh no, 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 let them go their own way, let them do their own thing, as long as they're happy, it's okay. Friends, that's not love. Abandoning people to their perception of happiness is not love. God's love looks at us and says, I don't want to leave you in your sin. I don't want to leave you in separation because you weren't designed for this. And maybe it feels good right now. Maybe things seem great right now. But friends, it's, it's not going to. There is an eternity. There is so much more than what you see. And I want to bring you back into relationship. I want to restore you. And again, we see this throughout Scripture. The law of God. The law of God that sought to restore people, to work change in their hearts, to bring them back into relationship with Him. And then God sends His prophets. We have 17 prophetic books. Love letters from God to His people saying to them, return to God, return to God, return to God. Desiring that something would happen in them. That they would become and become restored to their created purpose. So do you see how Christmas is about this type of love? A transformational love. John 3.16 For God so what? So loved the world. For God was so committed to being with and for His people For God was so committed to see His people be restored into that perfect relationship that He sent His one and only Son who died on a cross 
Why? So that those who put their faith and trust in Him would experience eternal life, would be restored into the relationship that they were created for. That's John 3.16. It's a love that desires to see us transformed. To see us become our best. To be restored to a place of perfect relationships. The love of God is one that works through presence and advocacy to see us become who God created us to be. God's love seeks to move us from separation to restoration. From the darkness and depression and anxiety of our lives to light and hope and trust. This is why Jesus came. This is what Christmas is all about. It's God's love expressed in His presence, advocacy, and transformation. That's what it's all about. Do you see how this is so much more than a Hallmark Christmas movie? This is so much more than a romantic love. It's a love based on a commitment. So we see God's love throughout Scripture as He intentionally works to see us become who He created us to be. But what does this mean for us? Well, first, I believe that God's demonstration of love towards us shows us how we are to love others. If this is what God has communicated love to be in Scripture, how then does this change how we love others? Well, simple. We, we stop thinking that love is based on preference. We stop thinking that love is based on how the other person makes me feel. So if the other person doesn't make me feel really good, I'm just going to go oh, leave them alone and go do my own thing. That's not love. The love we learn about in the Bible is one where we commit ourselves to be with someone. We commit ourselves to be an advocate for someone. We commit ourselves to see others become their best. Does this take work? Absolutely. But I just love that Hundred-year-old Japanese woman's words. <laughs> it took a lot of patience on my part. But that's the type of love we're invited into. Our, our culture equates love so much on these feelings. But what we've just looked at shows that we should not love circumstantially. We shouldn't just love based on the moment. Instead, we choose to be with people, even when they maybe rub us the wrong way. We choose to be for people, and we choose to see how they could be better. This should shape for us the ways in which those of us who are married, how we love our spouses. Are we showing our spouses love by choosing to be with them, committing ourselves to be a real presence in our home? Are we committing ourselves to be an advocate for our spouse, that we don't speak poorly of them? We don't speak down on them. We don't gossip about them with our in-laws. Do we, in our marriages, choose to be spouses who labor and pray with our spouses to see them become who God wants them to be? This changes the way that we parent. You know, Scott McKnight actually points out in his book that so often parents are committed to seeing their children become the best. But they fall short in the commitment to be with their children and to be advocates for their children. 
And he said that the order in which this plays out is important. So parents, as you love your children, it starts with a commitment to be with them, to be a faithful presence in their life, a commitment to be an advocate for them, standing next to them even when they make mistakes and when they fail. And from that place of presence and advocacy, you start working with them to see them become who God created them to be. As a church, you know, I pray that this building is never a place where people don't feel loved. I pray that those of us who represent TCC in Edmonton, that that no one would ever interact with you and, and find that you are someone who is unloving. Rather, I pray that this church would be one that is going out into the world and demonstrating a love that is different from the love of the world. One that loves even when we're hurt. One that loves even when someone is pushing against us. Maybe you find yourself this morning lacking community. I encourage you, you could lead a home group, join a home group, find a community where you can enter into this type of a loving relationship. You know, we mentioned Alpha earlier. What a great opportunity to show someone you love them by saying, hey, I want to go to Alpha this year. Do you want to come with me? And come and attend Alpha. And through that faithful presence of you sitting with them at that discussion table for 11 weeks and spending that time with them, advocating with them, going through the scriptures with them, hopefully see God do a work in their lives. So there's so many ways that this can play out for us. My last question for us is, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? A John 3.16 is easy to memorize. A John 3.16 is incredibly difficult to internalize. Because the love of God is something we can think about and say, yeah, yeah, God loves me, God loves me. But to have that actually get into our hearts. Because so many of us have been hurt from relationships. People who've made a commitment to be with us has abandoned us. People who've committed to advocate for us have slandered us and talked poorly about us behind our back. And we're left in this place of how can I ever trust someone? We experience broken commitments, failed presence. We feel alone. We feel abandoned. Or maybe all we've ever experienced is directional love of someone keep telling us we need to do better, do better, do better, do better, do better. If that's your story this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But friends, there is a God who loves you. Who loves you. The story that we read about in Scripture isn't stuck in time 2,000 years ago. The narrative of the love of God is as real today, December 23rd, 2018, as it was the day Jesus was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. God loves you. God wants to be with you. He wants to be a faithful presence in your life. Those times when you feel abandoned and alone and left to the sidelines. God's love is available. It's there. He wants to be for you. 
when you're experiencing people step over you and push you to the side, not considering you. God's love is there, advocating for you. When you're wrestling with sin, you feel like, I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this love. God's commitment to be for you is a love that advocates for you in that place of sin. Where God says, Jesus has done the work. Jesus is here to mediate between your repentant heart and my law and my standards. He's for you. And maybe this morning you feel the sense, what's my purpose? Why am I here on earth? What's the point anyway? God's love for you has a purpose and a plan in mind for your life. You, very specifically. And He wants to work His love in your life in such a way that you become transformed into the person you were created to be. God loves us. That's why He sent His Son. He's committed to us. So how do we respond to this love? Well, it's right there in John 3.16, friends. When we think upon this love, meditate upon this love, what's the instruction that is given to us from Jesus? To believe in Him. Some of us have never made that choice, that decision, to believe in Jesus. I want to tell you that this morning is is the time. If you're hearing this and you're going, man, yeah, I, I need that love of God in my life. I don't feel very loved. There is a God who loves you, who's crazy about you, who's committed to you. You could respond to that love this morning. For others of us, we hear this over and over again. We've had John 3.16 memorized since we were six years old. The invitation this morning is to, to again respond to that love. To recognize the ways in which we so often are like Israel, pushing God away. Because God's there, He wants to give us this love if only we will receive it. If only we'll receive it. I have a prayer I, I'd like us to, to pray together. And maybe some of you will be praying this for the first time. It's very similar to what uh, Pastor Ken led us in last week. Some of you might pray it for the first time. Others of you may be praying it for the hundredth time. And that's totally okay. Because God's love is there. It's available. And it's this love that Christmas is all about. Celebrating the love of God coming in the form of a baby who was destined to redeem humanity through his sacrificial death on the cross. Taking our sin, our arrogance, the ways in which we push God's way to the side and mediating for us, bringing us back into relationship with God. But we have to accept it. So let's stand together. And much like we did last week, let's pray this prayer together out loud. And I just pray that we pray it with sincerity in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your love. I choose to accept that love. Lord, I invite you to really be at home in my life. Take leadership of my whole life. 
Forgive the many ways I've sought to live my life apart from you. Forgive these sins. I acknowledge my sin and ask you to forgive me and help me to begin a new journey with you as the leader of my life. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer as the worship team comes on the platform. Father God, we praise you and thank you for the love of Christmas. So different than a Hallmark Christmas movie, Lord, but one that is passionately pursuing us. One based on a promise that you made. A promise of love, a commitment to humanity. That you would be with us. That you would be for us. That you would be unto us, working to see us brought back into relationship with you. But Jesus, there's so many times we push that love aside. But I pray for us that this Christmas, we would recognize and remember and see the love that came down at Christmas. This love song of God. A love that that came to earth in the form of a baby. Lord, may we think upon that birth, may we think upon that baby and see and believe that it is such an incredible expression of your love for us. Help us to receive that love this morning, Lord Jesus. We worship you and praise you. Amen.